Welcome back to Better Podcasting Chats with me, SP. Since last time, or last week, actually, it's been a week, I was convinced to convert these chats into a podcast, which will be available on the betterpodcasting.com website as soon as I can figure out how to put it up there without breaking anything else. In the meantime, if you don't see it in your normal podcast listening app, please let me know at stargatepioneer at guineageek.com, and I will work to get the podcast available on the particular listening app that you use. The podcast, by the way, is called Better Podcasting Chats with SP. Also, if you want to schedule a time to chat with me about your podcasting experience and your podcast, please send me an email and we'll arrange a time to have you on in the future. This week, I have once again decided to focus on another area neither Stephen nor I have a ton of experience with, and that is the Tabletop Gaming Podcast. As such, I have asked Damien the DM to join me tonight to talk about his experience with tabletop gaming and podcasting. Damien is the DM for his Dungeons and Dragons group, the producer of Adventures in Aurelia, and a moderator of the R Podcasting subreddit. Damien, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me on today, SP. So let's just dive right into it. Do you have any pre-Adventures in Aurelia podcasting experience? Podcasting? No. Adventures in Aurelia is the first podcast that I have created, though it was created with the inspiration of being a podcast listener. Most of my experience getting into that was actually partially fueled by listening to a bunch of better podcasting is where I learned a lot of my preliminary how to do things between listening to better podcasting, the audacity to podcast were kind of the main two when I started out. And other than that, I've just been kind of learning as I go hanging out in your guys's discord to get tips and tricks and hanging out in the art podcasting subreddit another font of information yeah and there's a lot of experience there too to ping off of both the our podcasting subreddit and our discord server at betterpodcasting.com slash discord feel free to join that if you want to so no prior podcasting experience listening to podcasts for sure how much gaming or DMing experience did you have before you launched Adventures in Aurelia? So gaming experience, I had actually only had about a year or so of gaming experience. I was actually introduced to, for where I am now, really late, I was introduced into like the tabletop RPG hobby, and that was actually spurred on by the uh, Magic the Gathering group that I had gotten into because of a friend after we graduated high school and that group had a scheduling conflict with their regular pathfinder sessions and needed to change their magic the gathering night over to a pathfinder night and it was like so by the way we're not going to be doing magic those nights anymore but we still like hanging out with you and having you around so you can come join us and play pathfinder with us and i was like i have no idea what this is and of course, I knew of the 
idea of Dungeons and Dragons. It was words that I had heard before, but something I had absolutely zero experience with. However, when it comes to DMing, that was pretty much entirely new when Adventures in Aurelia started. The early start of Adventures in Aurelia is kind of murky in the sense that I started it with having the idea based on listening to a bunch of other actual play podcasts where when I decided to start creating my own world and wanted to start DMing, I also wanted to share my stories with other people. But because I didn't know what I was doing, I started up kind of a more casual, just a group of friends hanging out and we were recording it off of a cell phone and then moved over to a Blue Yeti. And those were like within my first months of starting to run my own games. It's kind of an interesting thing when we started up with the show is that I was new at DMing and most of the players were all new at playing as well. Just a whole new troop. Pretty much like everything was like entirely new when we started out. The podcast was new. Me DMing was new. The players were new. The world was new. Early Adventures in Aurelia is kind of like seeing us at our earliest. And if I remember correctly, your feed at least starts in September of 2017. Yes. It starts in 2017. However, that is not truly the start of the show or the start of the campaigns. Because we started before with those cell phone and Blue Yeti recordings. We actually recorded an arc of our story before the podcast feed starts. That one half of it did end up getting edited and has since been scrubbed from the public feed. It lives in our Patreon feed. Only for the fact that work was put into it originally, but it's not the type of content or the type of show that I wanted to have new people starting to listen to the show with. It's like I the amount of work I put into things now, I didn't want that to be someone's first experience with us and well this sounds terrible. I'm not going to listen beyond the first 15 seconds of the first episode. So I hid those away and we actually recorded a the other half of that arc because Early in the show, we split up our story into two different groups. It was all the same people, but we were playing two different campaigns as our story. And one of those campaigns, the first story arc of that, never even got edited. The files technically exist on a laptop that's buried in my wife's room. So it's like all those guys with the Bitcoin crypto keys hidden somewhere and you can't get to it. I could get to it if I really wanted to, but I don't want to. (laughs) I'm sad that like those storylines don't really exist to the listeners and that even as a group, we can't really go back and listen to them because originally that was how it started is these were ways for us to go back and listen and know how our story developed and how it started and everything. But it just wasn't worth the time that it was going to take. There's pretty much nothing I could do with a single Blue Yeti recording five people around a single table to make it sound good. 
we'll come back to that in, in a little bit. I have a similar issue with Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. because the people that started that podcast for the first 12 or so episodes are not the people that ultimately did the podcast later. Matter of fact, I'm the only one that's been associated with the podcast, not since the beginning, but since those initial few episodes. I was on like two of those episodes with the group. And then finally, the guy who started the podcast, Nightwing, he just gave me the feed. And then I had to find my own co-hosts and start from there. And none of the the two co-hosts that started with me are still with the podcast. Haley hung on for quite some time. Will, I think it was within the first season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. he ducked out. I think he ducked out before the Winter Soldier Hydra reveal happened. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know if you regretted that or not. But anyway, I had a similar issue. And those episodes are not available on the public feed. I have them on the website, so if anybody wants to go to legendsofshield.com and, and download those, very different show. Those guys swore, so it's not suitable for work. And they did other type of podcasting, which is very different than how I do podcasting. It just doesn't make sense to have it on the feed, so I agree with you there. So... For the uninitiated, perhaps we should have started here. What exactly is a tabletop gaming podcast? How do you game for people that have never done it before? So for what we do, so tabletop gaming is such a large, broad category. And we are also on like the, the larger side of what exists. Specifically, our branding is considered an actual play podcast. Which, when you're more familiar with it, helps explain what that type of podcast is. It is a essentially a recording that is us actually playing the game of Dungeons and Dragons. Beyond that, and especially for the way that we do things, and especially with how we've grown to where we are now, is the tabletop RPG and Dungeons and Dragons, other tabletop games as a whole, is a collaborative storytelling experience. So ultimately how I describe what we do is we are a collaborative story led by me that uses dice and character sheets to help create an unknown and stakes based experience. So you are not scripting out an episode of what people should say when you are actually playing and getting the reactions of the people in real time. Yes. And the dice that we are rolling and our character sheets help create even more of an unknown. So when a situation happens, it is the results of a die that help me determine how the world responds to what happens. And your podcast is based in a Dungeons and Dragons type set, which for those that aren't familiar with Dungeons and Dragons, it's basically like a Lord of the Rings, Middle Earth sort of view on the world. And you're playing through that world and yeah. stories that are either created by you or given. That was going to be my next question. But it, does that categorize it or describe it appropriately? Yes, especially for like the way our show is. We are a middle fantasy, not quite high fantasy, not quite low fantasy. 
and that's for us it is all kind of told and created by me some podcasts in the genre tabletop rpgs will release books that are essentially a campaign guide to help give them a story to follow and give them the ideas whereas what we do is considered homebrew where i create the situations pretty much entirely on my own i've been the main person creating the world like the cities the npcs that they all interact with and uh, npcs being non-player characters so as some of our intros joke about i play everybody else the (laughs) players each play their own character and then the rest of the world is played by me how long does it take you to create the situation of which you're going to play? And then how many sessions do you create at one time? How many sessions we create at one time has kind of changed as the show has gone on. We used to, on average, we record about four hours when we sit down for a session. And originally I would get about two episodes out of that. However, the way that production has changed and some of the decisions and design choices that i've made with how the show is made were more and more often getting a single episode out of that originally we were shooting for about two 90 minute ish episodes out of that and nowadays out of a single three and a half to four hour recording my goal is to get a 60 to 90 minute episode out of it and then how do you go back and create a new session after you played a session or do you stack some sessions on top of each other for my own personal anxiety issues we don't play too far ahead of where we are in the release schedule for example i am currently right now editing the last session that we played now that i'm in the editing process of that is when we will start planning out our next meetup to record the session following And part of that is because in the earlier days of the show, we tried to be on a more regular recording schedule, recording every three or four weeks. But if I wasn't able to keep up with releasing enough episodes out of that, say we had a two-episode release or a two-episode worth recording, that would take me a couple weeks to get through one, a couple weeks to get through the next, and then we'd start kind of creating a backlog that felt like a mountain that I couldn't keep up with. So we've actually made the decision that we only record an episode or two ahead of where we've released. So how long do you go between the playthrough session and then your next recording session? You mentioned three or four weeks, and I've just taken from what you said that it is longer now. So. How long in between recording sessions? We're roughly around six weeks right now. Okay. And part of that is dictated by some of the changes in the way that I've edited. Part of how I have handled the show is I'm constantly trying to do more and do, in my opinion, better with how the show is edited and produced. And kind of every time I make a leap, it will set us back for a little while until I get like my bearings and get my speed up again. It also doesn't help that at this point, my son is reaching an age that with being in school and wanting to do more things that are more active and interactive, 
I don't have as much time to edit anymore. As much as I'd like to be on about a three to four week schedule still, we're roughly about six weeks. So that would make, off the top of my head, somewhere around the eight to ten episodes a year? Yes. Yeah, trying to do the quick math on that, you know, about one every month and a half or so, yeah. All right. So I've listened to your latest episodes. I think the latest episode available was like 3-8, I believe. Yes, Yes, that was the last one released. So I've listened to them. I've actually listened to your show all the time, but that's where we're at right now, 3-8. And actually, the production value on there is just amazing. Your storytelling, the music background, the sound design, and everything else. So you're doing a great job, but it sounds like you went from recording with your cell phone to recording with a Blue Yeti, and then the greatness happened after that, right? So you're doing all this off of Blue Yeti, right? No, not at all. Oh, why not? How did that not work? As alluded to with me not wanting to touch those recordings, after the first arc that we that I was editing... Basically, while we were recording the second arc, I was still editing the first one. That was when I started to listen to you guys, actually, and kind of dove into more of the technical side behind podcasting, more than just knowing this is a waveform. This is an audio editor. You put the audio into the audio editor, and then you make content out of it. And from there is when I learned about the beauty of multi-track recording. We actually took our first hiatus after the second arc. And that 2017, that September 2017 was actually kind of the relaunch of the show. And what we had done leading up to that is I had bought a Zoom H6. I had bought um, way, way callback five Knox podcasting microphones so that each of us would be on our own track. I would have a lot more control over if someone bumped the table too close to a microphone, being able to cut that noise out, being able to, if there's a side conversation going on. And that was kind of the learning about that and the difference in quality that it made was how I decided that we were going to relaunch and make what was finally, in my eyes, a more listenable podcast. So you had basically what was the equivalent now of five Samsung Q2U microphones, and they were connected to your Zoom H6 via XLR. You did not try to multi-track into a DAW with five USB microphones, right? No. And... The me now knows that you kind of can't do that. I don't actually know how the me back then determined that we would be going XLR into the H6 instead of trying to go into a PC. It might have been legitimately me not having enough USB ports to do it and just ignoring that to begin with. But I can't remember if I looked into it enough to know if at the start that you just can't do that. So, I mean, we could go down the path of microphones, but essentially, I mean, if somebody wanted to start a tabletop gaming podcast and then multi-track, they could essentially get a bunch of uh, Behringer XM8500 microphones, which are $20. I haven't checked their price recently, but they were $20 a piece. So they could do that. And then they 
So your limiting factor, though, is how many people you have recording to how many tracks you're going to need on the device. So Zoom H6 is a great thing. It only has six inputs. So if you have a group beyond six, you can't use the Zoom H6. You're going to have to go up to maybe the Zoom H8 or a P8, a Zoom P8, or a Zoom L8 or L12 or something like that. I know that there's other ones available, but if you're trying to skip by in a low budget, I think the Zoom level of recorders with the more than four inputs would probably be the way that you could do it. I guess you could also do an audio interface and record into a DAW. Neither of us, you and I, would recommend that because we've heard, we both heard a lot of horror stories about people losing recordings that way. Mm-hmm. And that's why we would recommend hardware recordings, but you could do that. So the basic tenet though, is you could have a lot of cheaper microphones, but the audio interface of the recorder is going to be your big nexus with a group. So hardware wise, would you agree with that? Yes. Especially with the size that a tabletop group normally is fairly standard is about five to six people. And the jump from four to six is always like the big hurdle to get over. And also when like we started with the H six for one, I feel like we should correct slightly that the H six is actually only four inputs. You have to buy the extra capsule to go up to six. So that's something to take into account as well as having to spend the extra money on top of just the raw H six recorder. But back then the P eight is it the P4 is the one right below that as well? Didn't exist. I'm not even sure if the live track, the L series for Zoom, existed back when we started in 2017 either. I want to say that came out in 2018. Or if it, w- if it was, the L12 might have been like brand new in the 2017 timeframe, but it was also a lot of money. And Steven's got one. I don't have one. He's used one for a while. Matter of fact, his his L12 was his go-to for quite some time. Then we started branching out into trying other interfaces like the Rodecaster Pro, Tascam Mixcast 4, several of the other ways. The problem, though, just to footstomp again, is recording more than four tracks in person Mm -hmm. and doing that in person. So... Actually, that's another place that I wanted to go. You record in person, correct? Yes, we do. We actually had to take a very long break at the start, mid of 2020, for reasons that everyone at this point would understand, because we are all in person, we've always been all in person, and because we started out all in person, all of our gear is built around that. So moving to remote was not something that was going to be easy for us at all. You could do it remote. And if you did do it remote, you wouldn't have that face-to-face interaction, but everybody would probably have to have their own ability to record their own track, or you would have to use a service that would enable multi-tracking, which neither of us, again, are very comfortable with because there's no backup to it and recording could get lost. And that's really risky in the tabletop space too because unlike a either more scripted show or more conversational can still have the issue too but when it comes to a storytelling show if you lose that you kind of have to go back 
but the nature of having dice and everything going back and having to re-record a session that gets lost means that you have made a change to the story that cannot be undone you're not going to be able to recapture the same moments that were made before because we're assuming you've lost the recording which means you're not going to be able to exactly follow the same path and make the same results happen which is another reason why we are a big advocate of going with a hardware recorder because especially in tabletop i feel that losing a recording is just absolutely devastating it's a matter of you could have a character that died in a session that has been lost that doesn't end up dying because the dice told a different story when you re-recorded so in 2017 you moved from the cell phone to the blue yeti at some point in time you moved from the blue yeti to the Knox microphones and the zoom h6 and you've been that way ever since and it sounds amazing no oh what happened honestly for no particular reason after getting set up with the Zoom H6 and the Knox podcasting mic, what did I first start doing? I started looking for other gear, and I don't remember how I fell on it. I think it was a mixture of price point and reviews, but I got my eyes set on the Blue Encore 100, and... Slowly over time, this, unlike when we relaunched, I got all of the gear and we all were in gear parody when we relaunched the show. It was, I think it was actually my wife bought me a Blue Encore 100. We started testing that out. We started mixing that into the recordings. I liked how it sounded. I loved the build quality of that thing. That thing, you could knock someone out with that microphone. It is solid. It's nice and heavy. I liked how it sounded and everything, and we eventually transitioned to everyone having the Blue Encore 100, which took us about a year to get there, using a little bit of Patreon funds, using things like birthdays. The players actually bought the last two for me and my wife as wedding presents. Oh, congratulations. (laughs) It's kind of fitting for a podcast co-host, basically, to give microphone for a wedding gift and do you want to uh, keep following the line of how the show has gotten to where it is now or do you want to continue leading (laughs) yeah are you telling me that you are not currently using the blue encore 100 this is not the blue encore 100 (laughs) really it uh, was so hard to tell because there was no shiny grill on it and it wasn't blue or gray or whatever it is This is the Blue Encore 100. (laughs) I love that microphone. It sounds great. I don't know if I would hit somebody on it because I don't know if it's robust enough to... The internals might not be, but the the, the build quality feels good. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think it would be dented. You're absolutely correct there. I do like that microphone. Uh, A few things with any stick-held microphone that you have to watch out for would be plosives because just the nature of the microphone, how you use it, and that sort of thing. So definitely I would use the XM8500, the Samsung Q2U, or the Blue Encore 100 with a pop filter on it. Definitely a windscreen. I can actually go ahead and uh, and grab these two. I don't have the the attachment for it, but for the video viewers, 
what we used with that is we actually got a rubber band style shock mount that had a mountable windscreen for it that's positioned it right in front of the microphone. I don't remember if those are still available or not. It's been a while since I've been in the market for a stick microphone on a on a mic on an arm, but I know a lot of people start out that way and it's perfectly fine. I started out that way too. It really knocks down the the sound that you get if someone bumps the table, especially the way that we record in my living room. But for multiple reasons, we actually have everyone on a TV tray and are spread out. But being everyone having their mic arm mounted to a TV tray also means that it's easy to bump things. And I find that the shock mounts really help with that, especially the like rubber band suspended ones versus the more like hard rubber style that they make. Definitely could see that. I mean, there's uh, there's a lot of ways to isolate the sound, but it sounds like you you were doing your best. But now you've moved beyond the Blue Encore 100, obviously, because that's not what's in the shot for the uh, for the video uh, viewers. And what are you using now? Our current mics and probably the last microphones that we use for a long time are actually the Zoom ZDM1 or the ZDM1, as Steven would say. Yeah. And we moved to those specifically because of them being a hypercardioid pickup pattern. The way that we record in our room, we would still get a bit of mic bleed and crosstalk coming through with the Blue Encore 100s, which I go to great lengths to cut and minimize. Anyone that edits even multi-track audio would know that unfortunately if you have two people talking at the same time it gets really hard to mask that if the other microphone picks it up and that was an issue that we had with the Encore 100s and it became a night and day difference when we moved over to the Zoom ZDM1s. All my in-person recording that I've done like the sort that you're talking about not tabletop gaming but in person across the table from each other has been using the Sennheiser MD 46. Even that picks up crosstalk, but we try to minimize it as much as possible. So it's very important to try to minimize if you're going to release it as a podcast, it's very important to try to isolate each track as much as you can. It sounds like you've taken great pains and gone through great lengths to do that over the course of years to get better. Mm-hmm. And because I'm sure you want to touch on it as well, we are also no longer using the Zoom H6. <gasps> I want to say two, three years ago, I want to say it was like right before we had to take our 2020 hiatus, we upgraded from the Zoom H6 to the aforementioned Zoom L12. The live track, Zoom L12. Yes. Yep, pretty great. I mean, anything that has more than four XLR inputs is going to be what you generally recommend for tabletop gamers. Everybody wants to go really cheap. I would recommend making sure that you get gear that is recommended to last a little bit because you just don't want to be replacing the gear every so often. I'm currently undergoing a studio refresh. It was haphazard. It wasn't planned, but it is happening. And I would say since I bought my gear and I'm 
want to say the 2015, 2016 timeframe. I mean, it's time. I, I would say about every five years is a good tempo to plan on to refresh gears. I mean, you're still doing your podcast or podcasting after five years. You probably want to upgrade your gear to stay more current anyway. But you could, I could keep using the setup that I have until something completely breaks. And then I'll have to move to something else. And that could be five years from now. It could be 10 years from now. It could be next week. So we'll see how that works. Hopefully I'll be on another system in another week or two. Okay, so I want to get beyond the gear. I mean, we could geek out about gear all night, but there's other things to talk about. First of all, I know a lot of people either stream or they want to record. They want to, you know, we see a lot of this in our podcasting when they're asking, so what kind of cameras do you recommend that we use? So let's just go down the video path really quickly. Do you also record your show with video? We do not. There's a handful of reasons for it. It's one of those things I'd actually like to do. And we have experimented with doing static image live on Twitch to have that live experience without video. Some things I do know is if we did do video, the level of editing that I do, I would not apply to the video side at all. But one of the main things that's kept us out of video is the space that we are in isn't ideal for it, and we would need a lot of cameras for it. I think minimal, I believe I've determined I would want four cameras, and that is essentially if I had the space to have two players on one side for one camera, two players on the other side for a camera, one for myself, and then one for the table which we don't actually use the table very often. We do a lot of what's called theater of the mind, which especially in podcast form, I think is helpful because it means that we are relying more on spoken descriptions, but that would getting that many webcams to run on a single computer is rough. And then the other options for that become more hundreds slash thousands of dollars. Yeah, I've looked into that myself recently to try to upgrade my camera setup and you're in the thousands of dollars considering the lenses that you'll need, the decent video quality, the ability to connect to your computer, that whole thing. It's just it's not as simple as a webcam, unfortunately. And it's it's not for lack of wanting to like I stream at least once a week. I say at least once a week, ideally once a week. As a gaming stream, I actually have a couple of the players on my show will hang out and play games with me, and I will be live streaming for that. So it's not for lack of wanting to be live. It's just a technical issue and a space issue. Have you had the same group since 2017? Yes. My group is actually a group of, at this point, very close personal friends. It actually started with essentially my wife is one of the players she is one of the people in the group and when i started wanting to create my own game and find players to join me it led to her finding out that there were similar nerdy-ish interests with her and a couple of her co-workers at the time and one of those coworkers also brought in their now fiance. And even though they no longer work at that place together anymore, 
we have just formed a really close personal friendship out of something that ostensibly started out as basically board game night. So I'll relate a story that I heard about The Expanse. Are you familiar with The Expanse, the TV show and, and the book series that recently out? Are, are, do you know of it? I know of it. I can't say I'm familiar with it. So it's a sci-fi space odyssey set 350, 400 years in the future, something like that. And they really took pains to try to make it as realistic as possible. Anyway, it started out as a tabletop game. And then the author, Ty Frank, was trying to sell it as a tabletop game. So it, they started playing on an old like BBS system, not chat room like we have today, but a BBS. So you would yeah, BB forums. Yeah, you would post what you were going to do and then you'd have to wait for the next person to come along and either DM or somebody else would chime in or something like that. Anyway, the reason I bring it up is because the people that he started with, you might think are the four people that ended up on the show, The Expanse, which is true, but there were more people in the initial group. And one of the characters on The the Expanse, Shed, died in The Expanse. And the reason he died is the person that was playing his character needed to leave the game. So they killed off the character in the game, and that has just stuck with the story ever since. I worry about the day that I lose one of my players. I'm selfish, and I want them all to stay in the area. At this point, it's going to take a lot, I think, for us to not be friends. We hang out outside of playing D&D almost at least once a week. We go on camping trips together, so it would take a pretty serious falling out at this point to lose them as players or them moving away, and I dread the day that that might one day happen. Yeah. Hopefully it doesn't, but we'll see. I won't quote the odds because (laughs) I don't really know them. Don't tell me the odds. Never tell me the odds, exactly. So you have recorded, oh, one last thing about the recording. You said you go every six weeks, but because you have a group of six people, yourself, or five people, yourself included, how does scheduling work? Are you able to work through getting everybody together, or sometimes does that have to slip a few weeks in order to get everybody together? Scheduling, for the most part, has been fairly simple. We can usually... Essentially, like like I said, I will normally start scheduling the next play session around when I start editing the last session that we did. And because of the editing time it takes, we have about a four-week window to try and fit a session in. Normally, we can pin that down to be within one of two weeks. A lot of what has affected that is, up until very recently... Two of our players were working nights, one of which works nights, weekends, when they get called in for overtime. So their job is uh, can get in the way, and that's where it's normally the one or two weeks, because he normally will not get pinned to cover that weekend shift two weekends in a row. Things are in flux with that right now because we have some other schedule changes coming up but typically because everyone is so interested in playing it kind of becomes the top priority when we start scheduling a session where 
short of like family tragedy work basically it becomes the thing that we will do that is the plan that we make as a group and that is what's going to happen and essentially the only thing that gets in the way of that when we schedule it is something that would stop us from hanging out any other way and you would not want to record without all the players there i absolutely refuse to record without everybody here Okay, so you don't write anybody out for an episode like they're convalescing somewhere or anything like that. Everybody's playing every time. That is a thing that I know some shows do, and I know that especially less shows and more just general friend groups, they will just, they usually refer to it as the cardboard cutout. They'll cardboard cut out a, a character when the player can't make it. Our release schedule is fluid enough at this point that... I'm fine delaying a week to getting to three weeks would be rough, but normally we would make it work by that point. The thing that really makes it rough is because of work schedules, we can really only record on like Saturday. So it sounds to me like you have embodied episode one of Better Podcasting, where you have chosen a topic that you and the people involved are so passionate about that you're all willing to drop everything, even five years later to sit down and record and you have fun doing it. Yes. Yes. Um, to the point that I know that I have at least one and I'm sure other players that would probably wish we didn't record a show because it would allow us to play more frequently. I could see that. I have thought the same thing to myself. So, for instance, right now in Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., one of the things we're doing in the off weeks when Marvel doesn't have any fresh new content for us is we've been going back and watching the X-Men 92 series to get ready for when X-Men, the animated series, comes back next year on Disney+. Plus. I would love just to sit down and watch the whole thing, like in a weekend, like binge the entire thing, because I've never seen it before, right? But I have to wait, and I have to record the podcast i have to edit the podcast publish the podcast and then i get to watch the next few episodes but mm -hmm. i have to stop myself and not go too far and that is the way of of any batch recording uh it's kind of the way that i had to do the expanse with the guys over at smoking and drinking in space and yeah i've done it many many times where i've, I've wanted to go on and i can't so it's great that you guys are so excited about it that you'd want to do that but also conscious enough that hey we need to get the podcast out because we have a community you've built to the community you mentioned your patreon before but you have a listener community of people that actually provide you funds and are listening and subscribe to your podcast and everything because it really is a good podcast i mean i'm not talking to you because you just happen to have a tabletop podcast you have a good tabletop podcast mm -hmm. uh, so you've built a community around that and and how does that work for you your community so one of the big things we have since you mentioned like Patreon is those people that support us are largely going to supporting the growth of the show as a whole. For example, like Patreon funds were used to help buy things like the L12, buy some of the mic upgrades that we've gone through. And in the last, getting close to a year now, we've actually been putting that money towards regularly having art done for the show 
I've been working real closely with just one artist right now because it's really all I can afford is to get the the one commission done when we get stuff done right now and have had a number of the legendary artifacts that have appeared in the show or will appear in the show have been drawn up by him. We have are currently in the process of our second character portrait commission for some very important non-player characters. They're the leaders of the guild that the players are all part of. And unfortunately, and this is a thing that's hard for like any smaller podcast, we don't have a huge community of people that chat and interact with us on a regular basis. We kind of have some people that come and go once in a while. I feel like our release schedule doesn't help with that. So we'll have people that pop up for a week or two to let us know that they're enjoying things when we have a new episode come out. But I myself am ingrained in a number of tabletop communities that we chat about stuff like that as well. Okay. It's good to have listeners, listener base, patrons, and somebody that can give you feedback for the show. Absolutely. We haven't talked a lot about that, and I feel like not talking about that because you just do such an amazing job with it would be a disservice to anybody listening to this. Your editing process. You do amazing work. You've gone through different DAWs to try to get the optimal workflow for your show. You're still working things out, but describe to everybody your editing workflow post-recording prior to publication. Like I said, we record about three and a half to four hours. That's that's usually the length of the session that I'm pulling into the editor. At this point, I will stick to kind of how we did things in Hindenburg Journalist, because I'm actually currently in the process of trying to edit 3-9 and a new editor. And I pull that in and listen through at 1x speed and do what I consider the rough cut of the episode where I'm cleaning up dialogue, I'm cutting out, especially where we are now. It's grown up to this point on how much I remove from the sessions. We've gotten to the point that I remove most of the like off-topic chatter and really take that rough cut of dialing it down and focusing it to the story and the flow of the story. At that point, I'm spending around 12 to 16-ish hours cutting that three-and-a-half to four-hour recording down to roughly 60 to 90 minutes. After I finish up that, that portion of the edit, I go through and do what I call the production pass of things where I start over from the beginning, and at that point, I am bringing in background ambience. I am bringing in a full soundscape for each episode that includes background music to help set the mood and set the tone. At this point, I've acquired quite the large library of music, ambience, and also sound effects, so when it when I have something that fits, I throw in sound effects to really help turn the episode into like an immersive story experience where ideally you could kind of close your eyes and feel like you're 
hovering around the events that are happening. You could almost be a side character witnessing the events that are going on next to you. So you mentioned the sound effects and you mentioned your large library. You didn't create them yourself. You've obtained them. Where would be some places that you would recommend people go to get certain things in your sound design? Most of how I've acquired things music-wise started out by just looking up artists that do music that they release royalty-free and often when you're doing that can be released non-commercially. Kevin McLeod is a big one and through a number of YouTubers that because the YouTube algorithm can be so great, you listen to a couple themes of music and you can start finding other artists and some of them I've reached out to personally some of them when you look them up you'll find out that they do release their music to be used royalty free but I also have acquired a lot of this and found even more artists through a handful of bundle sites one of them being humblebundle.com there is groupies.com and fanatical.com as well are all three sites that I fairly regularly keep an eye on. And they will have music packs that come up usually as part of a game dev bundle. You have to make sure that you check over the licensing that is included with them just to make sure that the licensing allows for things like being included in a audio release. Oftentimes, you can also reach out to the people that are part of them and clarify anything in the licensing. And that's how I've gained so much is by keeping an eye on bundles and buying stuff that I will be able to use royalty free is kind of the big thing that I keep an eye out for. So after you've painstakingly gone through, do the rough cut, do the dialogue cut, try to cut down the longer recording into something a little bit more manageable added sound effects, listen to it through again, and then you've exported your final render, you upload it to some sort of a podcast host service, right? Mm-hmm. Up until uh, a couple weeks ago, that was actually Podbean, and we have recently switched over to uh, Red Circle as our media host. Okay. I am using full disclosure podcast for the first time with this podcast i've created this into a podcast so i'm using podcast so i am going through the process of learning that and the differences than from the other things that i've used in the past like spreaker and lipson and some other ones that have come and gone but yeah I'm, i'm looking forward to using a few other ones that are out there right now maybe captivate in the future Transistor gets mentioned quite a bit for audio dramas and tabletop gaming. I hear a lot of Red Circle. Do they do anything that's unique that you wanted to go to specifically for your podcast? The big thing that pulled me into moving over to Red Circle was our feed was kind of in desperate need of a cleanup. I had mentioned previously that we were running two campaigns kind of side-by-side, where we were using different characters to tell two different stories. And 2020 kind of put that on an indefinite hiatus for one of them. Essentially, we have our 
Aurelian Epic is our main story. That's why it gets the title, The Epic. That is kind of the epic story that we are telling. And then we had the Miavet story, which was a side story that we actually did to tell a different style of story. When we created that, it was meant to be a little more morally ambiguous. It wasn't supposed to be a big hero's journey like the Aurelian Epic is. But the feed started with the Miavet story, and it made things kind of confusing to a new listener, especially if they would reach out to me, kind of wondering where to start the show. And I go, well, the feed starts with this, and then it goes over to this other story, but we also don't do the story that it starts with anymore, so you probably want to skip over that and go to this. And the big thing that drew us to Red Circle is under a single account, you can have multiple feeds. When we transported over to Red Circle, I removed all of the Miavet story episodes. And over the next month or so, as I get more comfortable with their interface and spend more time with it, then I will be creating a second feed for the Miavet story so that it can live on as its own feed, a relatively contained story and that might be one of the things that draws like audio dramas to because audio dramas tend to be more contained one or two season shows and if you've got a like audio drama author that wants to do multiple different stories then being able to make a new feed for each one off of a single account would be really beneficial I also know they have some things that because we're so new, I haven't interacted with yet is like they have a cross promo section and I've heard of other shows using that. I haven't heard how, how valuable it is for them. And because we're so new to it, I don't even know if we have access to it yet. So it sounds like it's, to be determined whether or not this is for you. But honestly, I've heard a lot of good things from, like I said, audio dramas and tabletop games. So I assume it'll work great for you. I look at podcast media hosts as you're always giving up something like with Libsyn, you're giving up the ability to download more than let's just say you're on the $20 a month plan. You can only upload 400 megabits of audio every month, which does lend to a certain type of podcasting if you're releasing every week that seems to work out just fine but on another podcast media host you might have to you might have the unlimited feeds but then you're limited like Spreaker when I was using it you were limited to 500 hours that you could upload you could have more than 500 RSS feeds but you couldn't have more than 500 hours out there so it's really more of a broadcast platform than a podcast platform because your ability to keep a back catalog for a long time was limited and i remember when i was first on it the big question was yeah but when are you going to hit 500 hours well it seems as though i was doing like six shows a week six one hour shows a week i met that within a couple of years of starting it so mm-hmm. i i could not stay on there as my it was never my main feed but i could not stay on there i would have to delete older stuff and then the allure of listening to audio live kind of was passe because more people were doing it with video with either YouTube or Twitch or something like that. So just didn't make sense for me to do speaker anymore. So you're always giving up something. The question is, what are you giving up 
going with somebody else and are you comfortable with that stats sometimes like pinecast does not have iab certified stats and they never will apparently because it's just too much for them to invest so i you, this podcast will never have iab stats unless i link some sort of metrics mm-hmm. to it service to it like i said there's always some sort of trade-off so if you are listening to this and you're like well, what about this host? What about this host? What about Transistor? You know, what about whatever? Yeah, okay. I, I get why you're excited over it, but it has a detriment to it. And if the detriment is something that you can completely live with with your podcast, I'm okay with it. And I think you're of the same mindset too there. Yeah, I mean, for one, I don't think Red Circle is IAB certified for their stats. For me personally, I'm not interested in going for ad buys anyways i prefer that any of the money that the show takes in is crowd supported comes from listeners that are dedicated enough to the show that they want to support it and see it grow so the iab certification doesn't matter a lot to me other than that i'm not sure what i give up with red circle mostly because i don't know i don't believe when i was looking into it that it has any sort of upload caps or anything. But I also know that with the release of the show, that it's going to take a very long time to run into any of those. If there's like, I don't think we'll ever hit a monthly upload cap with it because we release one, maybe two episodes a month on a good month. Even if it had that same 500 hour cap with most of our episodes being 60 to 90 minutes at this point we're looking at 400 plus episodes and at that point if we run into it then we'll move to another host again yeah another thing that gets overlooked a lot of times is the uh, bandwidth limitations like every month you can only have so many downloads or so much data that is being downloaded i mean these people have to stay in in business for some reason so they have to limit you somehow it's just the choice of how they limit you some and this might be with Red Circle, I don't know off the top of my head for sure. They might limit, they might reprocess your audio to a certain standard. And that's meant to help the uninitiated podcaster. But if you know what mm-hmm. you're doing, like you know what you're doing now, I know what I'm doing now. I release my podcast at a, a certain audio level and I want to make sure it maintains that audio level. And normally they will take it down at least a notch, if not two notches from what I release. Mm-hmm. And I'm not okay with that. I, I want to keep my audio at a certain level because I'm an audiophile because I've been listening to myself for 10 years while I'm <laughs> editing, right? I do know that Red Circle has its own built-in like ad marketplace and everything. So that might be also one of the oh. things that they use to keep them afloat. As you said, you know, every host, especially you've been in this long enough, the host needs to make money somehow or the host doesn't exist long enough unless Spotify buys them. Right. And so you're particularly talking about things like Anchor, and my question with Anchor is long-term. I don't know if Anchor is going to exist as it is today long-term. I know why it benefits Spotify. I know why Spotify bought it both for the content on there and for the actual audio, the, the whole system behind there. But I think they moved to a point where they can take the next step at any time and go on with that. Unless Anchor is profitable for them bringing in new shows that 
they can then just distribute only on Spotify and bring people just to Spotify. That for a lot of the same reasons, Apple podcast, Apple created like their podcast marketplace, free audio that they directly integrate into Spotify. Right. And Apple also is dipping the toes in the water of how to monetize the podcast space because mm-hmm. they've been big in it for a while. I mean, they've been losing market share just because others have grown like Spotify, for instance, Pandora. So as we start to close in here, close up the chat, I would like to ask you if you have any specific advice for either tabletop gaming podcasters or anybody else out there that we haven't touched upon yet tonight. Mm. It's hard because I know we touched on so many of the big points at this point, you know, big advocate for going to the multi-track. Obviously, strong advocate. Edit your shows, especially in the tabletop space. I know we have a big problem with actual plays that just don't bother putting in the time to actually edit down their content. And at least for me and my harsh opinion is that's usually a show that I do not listen to for very long. You don't have to go nearly as crazy with the sound design as I do. That takes a lot of time. It took a lot of time and money to build up the library that I have access to at this point. But I feel like ultimately that is like one of the the huge steps into pushing yourself into the next tier of show quality. At this point, I've started to brand our show as being a actual play podcast that straddles the line between an actual play and an audio drama because of the amount of editing and production work I do with the sound design is we're getting real close to an audio drama. The main thing that separates us at that point is we don't have a script. Yeah. So maybe an improv audio drama Mm -hmm. where we're real close to touching that line with like the sound design work that I do. Cause I know that that's one of the things that draws people to audio dramas is most of them because their production times are so large have a pretty good amount of sound design behind them as well. So the last thing, do you have anything else? Nothing that's like really, really jumping out to me. It's one of those things that between this last hour of chatting, hopefully I've put forth a lot of what I feel makes a good actual play podcast at this point. And the best advice that I could give is talk to people, especially find actual place that you enjoy a lot of us are super indie a lot of us are super approachable message us hit us up on twitter find us on discord i'm in the the better podcasting the gonna geek discord so you can easily find me there if you want to chat chat privately chat publicly i'm fine with anything and you'll find that a lot of us are very willing and forthcoming with just giving you all of the secrets that we've come up with over the years. And certain places, the, the secrets, as you say, come out quite uh, fluently to, from one person. And that was the whole purpose behind better podcasting anyway, to help people make their podcast better. That might be paying for it out of their own pockets, probably paying for it out of their own pockets. just not knowing how to do it because Maybe there is now, but there was no school for podcasting. Maybe it's, you know, part of a communications program or new media program in some college right now, but 
for the most part, there's just no actual school out there for podcasting that you can attend, sit down in a class, talk to other people, that sort of thing. Maybe some virtual things, but no, no actual physical school for it. Yeah, as as one of my like more recent pod friends that I've met in the last few months stated when we first started kind of talking shop, not just talking about playing games in general, is we're not competitors, we're colleagues. Especially those of us down in the indie side. We're not we're not pulling in thousands, tens of thousands of dollars. So, you know. We're all down here just trying to do what we do and trying to do it the best that we can. And one of the things, one of the reasons that I started better podcasting is I want to make podcasts better so I can listen to them. Like your early episodes, no offense, Damien, but if the quality didn't improve, there'd be no reason for me to to stay in and listen to that show. I've quit shows really quickly like that before, but yeah, make the, make the show better and make the content better and, and I'm all for it. The last thing that I wanted to touch upon specifically with you, and this kind of takes us all the way through the process of creating a podcast, is you published it. Now, how do you promote it? So do you have any tips or tricks along the promotion or marketing part of it that you would impart, or do you just not care and you just like making the content and making it available for people to listen to if they want to? If someone knows how to promote a show, uh, go ahead and hit me up because I'm terrible (laughs) at that. I try to do a lot of the things that people in podcasting say you've got to do to get your show out there. One of the hard things is, and it's one of the reasons that I started having art done, is I'm not an artist, so getting good graphics to share is hard, and especially with the way social media works. Images, graphics is is number one. That's what gets people to click on things. Audio is terrible to promote. Like, you have a harder time getting someone to stop and listen to audio than you do to get them to stop and watch a video. Sure, the video still has to catch someone really quickly, but that motion on the screen is going to grab them faster than audio. And images, it's not even moving, so you've got that being that much easier to grab someone's attention. Text being a tabletop thing, a lot of world building and written stuff, Text is something that we do, but text doesn't grab people very well because they have to stop and read unless you have a good visual to kind of kind of catch them. I've tried the audiogram things. The hard part with that is the time it takes to create those, especially because I'm already spending so much time on the production that then stopping to spend another two or three hours to specifically grab clips get them all processed and get them scheduled for social media is rough. One of the hard things with being kind of a, a one man band behind the scenes, my show is five people, but they are all players in the podcast that I want to make. And so when it comes to a lot of the heavy lifting in the show, that was my burden that I pushed on them, not the other way around. So I kind of am the one that takes the reins on all of that. Yeah, I went to Podcast Movement last year, 2021. I actually talked and discussed with a social media professional, I guess, of coming on with the show. And the rates were reasonable, but 
the what I would get out of it would not be worth the money. I mean, it's less money. It was less money than I thought it was going to be, but at the same time, so what am I getting for this? And it was just stuff that I could actually do on my own. It's like, yeah, okay. So you put a picture that's relevant to your content with some words out there on a regular basis. Okay. Do I do that all the time? No. Should I? Yes. Am I capable of doing it? Yes. So it's like, uh, should I really pay somebody to do this? That's one of those things I'd love to do is be at a point that I could pay someone a hundred bucks a month just to do some of that. It's like, I just want you to spend like an hour a week doing some social stuff for us. Yeah. And then people that do this for a living get paid like a working wage, you know, mm-hmm. $50,000, $100,000 a year or so. If I were to be paying for something that is like, I can afford to pay you for like, an hour this week (laughs) yeah which again you kind of diminishing returns an hour i don't think is enough time to get enough of that done no you you'd need to be able to pay someone to invest probably at minimum three hours a week and that's like the minimum for promotion i think if you're producing a weekly show and you're not but if you're producing a weekly show and say it's like an hour then you would have to listen to that show for an hour a week just to get the basis for what you're trying to promote. I mean, you have to consume the content in order to be able to promote the content. So you'd have to do on a weekly show. Anyway, you'd have to do more than one hour. So your three hour example that you were giving one hour of that is just to consume the content. And then two hours is what are you going to do with that? Mm -hmm. So I don't know. And that gets expensive. Just moving from one hour to three hours gets expensive. All right. If anybody listening or watching to this has good tips and tricks for a low budget indie production slash hobby podcast, like we talk about on better podcasting, please comment in below or email me Stargate pioneer at guineageek.com or get into our discord server at betterpodcasting.com slash discord and let us know because we would love to talk about it on future shows and give all the credit to you. So Damien, thank you very much for being with me tonight. It was a very deep, great pleasure to finally get to sit down and even if it's virtually to talk to you in person. I don't think we've ever done this before. This, this has been a long time coming for us. Yes. So this has been on my podcasting checklist for bucket list, whatever, for a while. So thank you very much for coming and being part of this. And obviously, you know, we could talk about this so much more. So I'm sure you'll be seeing me again. I'm sure we will, because there's another topic that we would like to discuss in the future. So just hang on for a future announcement on that. In the meantime, where, and we've been talking about it the entire time, but where can people find you? You can find us at adventuresinrelia.com. That is E-R-Y-L-I-A is the main hub to find kind of everything. It's got links to subscribe to the show. It's got links to join the Discord. We post the episodes up there as well. And it's also where we do kind of our limited blog posts and do art reveals and everything. Other than that, you can find us at AreliaPod. Aurelia Pod. Okay, wait a minute. I'll say it with you. Okay. Aurelia Pod. Okay. On Twitter. 
So, but for if you're just listening to the show for the first time, the reason why that's a big joke is on the Better Podcasting main show, we, Stephen and I, have been saying a really a pod kind of together and elongated and more elongated as we went on and on and on and on. And then finally, Damien spoke up once and he said, you know, the show's not called Aurelia Pod. That's just the Twitter handle. The show is called Adventures in Aurelia. And we're like, oh, we're still going to call it Aurelia Pod. So. <laughs> Adventures in Aurelia doesn't fit as a Twitter handle. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> All right. So thank you very much. We really appreciate you. Thanks for having me, SP. All right. Thank you, listener and watcher and viewer, for sticking with us until the end. If you like content like this, please subscribe to this YouTube channel and like this video. Steven and I would greatly appreciate it. Now, next week, I plan to stream and chat with a longtime hobby podcaster, Chris Farrell. Chris has produced over 400 episodes of his podcast, All Things Good and Nerdy, has had a solo weekly geek news podcast, and has been a co-host on a variety of other podcasts, including Starling Tribune, Gunny Geek, and Walking the Walking Dead, among a few others. So please join Chris and myself next Tuesday on the Better Podcasting YouTube channel and also my Twitch channel at Stargate Pioneer at 8 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, since we're in the summer now. If you want to ask any questions live, please do so. We'll see you then.